I always knew I'd have kids. I just never intended to become a mother. I'm Dr. Lee Birch, and this is the Rockstar Parent Podcast. I'm a chiropractor, educator, life coach, and mom, although not necessarily in that order. Everyone has their own journey into motherhood. This podcast is devoted to telling my story and sharing what I've found to be successful along the way. Episode 21, how to speak loud enough so your kids will listen without ever saying a single word. As a parent, have you ever had those moments where you take your time to give your child a complete set of verbal instructions? The entire time you're talking, they look engaged and even nod when you ask if they understand what you need them to do. The conversation ends They turn around to walk away. You congratulate yourself for being so concise and articulate, for having a great relationship with your kid and for raising such a respectful and attentive human. And as you're in the midst of congratulating yourself, you watch them walk in a completely opposite direction than what you had instructed. And instead of doing what you just asked, they head for the couch and are right back on their phones or their video games, or back to their TV show. You might even wonder for a second, well, maybe they're just looking up further instructions on YouTube. How thorough of them. But that feeling passes quickly, and you realize they are not doing what you asked at all. Now, in fairness, because this happened to me, when I was the kid in this situation many years ago. I did intend to do what my parent asked, but more on my timeline and not necessarily on their timeline. And that caused a few, shall we say, miscommunications between myself and my parents, and occasionally some follow-up conversations that might have happened at even higher volumes. Now, there's also a variation of this scenario my husband and I discovered while our kids were still quite young. Rewind to the part where you, as the parent, are doing the talking, and your kid looks completely engaged and even nods vigorously, not just at the end of the conversation when you ask if they understand, but at key points throughout your presentation. Your confidence in your abilities to communicate go way up. You begin to think there has never been another parent in the history of the world who is as effective at communication as you are. I mean, read the crowd, right? Your kid even throws in a chuckle every now and then when you crack a dad joke, just to keep it light. Now, this response, the completely engaged behavior with the vigorous head nodding, and occasional well-placed chuckle? Well, my husband and I started calling that the bobblehead. And I have one child who is incredibly gifted at it. You've seen bobbleheads before, right? I think they're categorized as collective dolls officially, and some you can even customize, I think. Did you know that there's even a National Bobblehead Day to celebrate these spring-connected head-bobbing figurines? 
It's January 7th, in case you were curious. And another fun fact for you, bobbleheads have been around for over 100 years. But the bobblehead that's in my family, well, he's only been around for about 22 years. Now let's go back to when he was about four or five. You see, we would talk and he would appear to listen, but then nothing. It left us very confused until one day I took a closer look at the whole interaction in real time. My husband was doing the talking, my son was allegedly doing the listening and the nodding, and I realized as I watched him, he wasn't actually listening at all. His eyes were completely glazed over, which can appear to the casual observer as focus, and then there was the nodding. Well. It wasn't synchronous, meaning he was just nodding throughout the conversation. His nods did not correspond to any predictable points in the conversation. And quite frankly, he looked like a bobblehead. As my husband and I discussed these observations later, we realized our son had stumbled onto something. By appearing to listen intently and nod affirmatively, he was able to be done with the conversation more quickly than if he had asked questions, engaged, tried to negotiate his way out of what we were asking him to do, or even argue with us over what we asked. You see, clearly he had found a way to minimize us interrupting him. Now imagine how we felt when we figured all that out. We weren't congratulating ourselves as potential future TED Talkers at that moment. By the way, we've talked about this phenomenon, the bobbleheading, with that same kid who is now an adult, and he reports that all of that was completely at a subconscious level. And what I mean by that is that as a four or five-year-old, he didn't reason out that we would talk less if he readily agreed with us. He just sort of stumbled upon it. And he also reports that he didn't mean any disrespect way back then. He was just a really busy kid and wanted to get back to what he was doing as quickly as possible. Like I said, he minimized the interruption. Side note, the word bobblehead has now been incorporated into our family vocabulary and can be used as both a noun and a verb. Once my husband and I uncovered what was actually happening behind the eyes in those conversations, we could more readily recognize it in real time and we started to ask one another, did that kid just bobblehead you? And the reply would be, yes, I believe he did just bobblehead me. Honestly, I never remember becoming upset by it once we uncovered it. I mean, points for ingenuity and in developing king survival instincts. I have actually watched that kid over the years bobblehead teachers, coaches, and employers, with none of them ever being the wiser. In fact, he gets quite the opposite response. He's been called an attentive learner on a report card. He's received the most coachable athlete award at the end of the season. And he's been promoted at work more quickly than others hired at the same time. So it begs the question, is bobbleheading synonymous with not listening? And something deep in my gut tells me it clearly isn't. Which brings me to what I really want to talk about today, and that falls into the category of nonverbal communication. 
Have you heard that quote that is attributed to the famous author, Ralph Waldo Emerson? He wrote, Who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. That's interesting. Let's break it down. I think if there is something kids, and particularly teenagers, are universally great at, it's identifying hypocrisy. So let's define that in a real world example. We as parents tell our teenagers not to do something. We tell them not to do it because we're concerned for their safety and we feel it's too risky for them to go. They wanna do it anyway and begin to push back. And at some point they look us straight in the eye and ask us, but did you do that when you were my age? Well, we know we did. We also know nothing bad happened when we did it, but it doesn't mean that we should have done it. And it absolutely is the reason why we're saying no to our kids now. And in the moment when they ask us that question, did you do that when you were my age? You see, we hesitate ever so slightly because we don't want to lie to our kids, but we don't want to exactly tell them the truth either. So we hesitate. And in that moment of hesitation, our very smart kids who are actually really paying attention, jump in and call us out. And the icing on the cake is when our kid, our own flesh and blood, says something to us like, well, you did this when you were my age and you turned out all right. You know, it's at that moment that you realize who you are has spoken and it's drowning out what you're saying. Now, I'm not saying that people who have never made mistakes or done things they aren't proud of shouldn't be parents. I mean, none of us would have become parents if only perfect people should do that. In fact, I'm saying the complete opposite is actually true. People who've made mistakes make great parents. And they can definitely set boundaries and limits and still say no to their kids in spite of the fact that they may have not listened to their own parents at times or taken some of life's detours. Then how do we overcome the deafening volume of our actions and get our kids to listen? Well, I suggest we don't fight the concept, we work with it. Let our kids learn from the powerful example our lives can be. And of course, I mean that in age-appropriate ways. When your kid is four and you're headed into Target with them, your instructions are to stay right by you and don't wander off. Now, is this the time to launch into that story about how you wandered off as a four-year-old when you were at the fair and your parents were frantic and you were okay, but your parents didn't know? The security person found you and returned you to your parents and they were mad, but then they were so relieved and you didn't get into any trouble. Well, probably not the right time to tell that story. I mean, is it a good story? Well, yeah. So when is the time to tell it? Well, maybe never if your kid isn't inclined to wander off. Or maybe it's a good time later in the day at home when they're safely in your arms and you're calm. After that time, they did wander off, but they were okay and then you were frantic but the security person found your kid and brought them back to you and then all you felt was relief. And when your kid is 16 and wants to go to a party and has been honest enough with you to tell you 
There might be substances there that 16-year-olds aren't legally allowed to partake of. You tell them you don't want them to go. Is that the time to launch into how you went to a party when you were 16 and there was stuff there and you tried it and you got sick and people got in trouble and you were grounded by your parents for life? Well, maybe not, but maybe so, because let's face it, odds are 25 years later when the situation comes up with your own teenager, you have the benefit of perspective and hindsight. You realize it didn't ruin your life or set you on a uncharted course with unsavory results. I mean, it happened. You got in trouble, you moved on, and in their own words, you turned out all right. And that's the part you work with. Because is that time at the party when you were 16 the reason you turned out all right? And here are the dots your cheeky teenager can't connect on their own. That's your job. It's really the 25 years of better choices that are the reason you turned out all right. Not that one party where you made a bad choice. Those two dots, the one when you were 16 and the one where you're standing in front of them, don't exist in isolation. There are hundreds, maybe even thousands of dots in between that have molded who you are today. When your teenager looks at you and says, you did it at my age and you turned out all right, what they're really saying to you is, I've watched you for the last 16 years of my life. And you've proven to be consistent and loving and supportive and funny and smart and dependable and successful and a hard worker who provides a good life for me and the rest of our family. They're telling you they've been watching you. They haven't been bobbleheading the entire time. They're aware of who you are. And honestly, it's kind of a compliment. My dad had this poster in his chiropractic practice as I was growing up. It was in a frame, hanging in his reception room, and I must have read that thing hundreds of times as I was growing up. It was a poem that was first written in the 50s by a child educator and family counselor, Dr. Dorothy Law Nolte, and it was entitled, Children Learn What They Live. I remember reading it as a kid and not really internalizing it. But then I became a parent, and the meaning of it sunk deep into my heart. I won't recite the entire thing because you've probably read it yourself at some point in your life. The first half of the poem goes through what some would label negative characteristics and their consequences in a family. So for example, the first few lines read, If children live with criticism, they learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight and so on. Dr. Nolte lists more characteristics. But halfway through, the tone changes, and she teaches us what children learn when they live with very positive characteristics. She writes, if children live with encouragement, they learn confidence. If children live with acceptance, they learn to love. If children live with kindness and consideration, they learn respect and so on, and so on. What was that quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson again? Who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. How does any of this help me when my kid isn't listening? Well, I want to submit to you that when children live with parents who listen to them, they also learn to listen back. When children live with parents 
who seek to understand who their kids are and where they're coming from, they learn it is worth their time to try to understand their parents also. And when children live with parents who are engaged, kids learn how to engage right back. If you ever have a moment where in frustration you ask out loud to no one in particular, is anyone listening to me today? Then the very next thing you need to do is pause and ask yourself, have I listened to anyone today? Because chances are you may have not. You don't listen and then you expect to be listened to. And we can come back to the whole I'm the parent and they're the kid and their job is to do the listening and my job is to do the talking. We can come back to that. Honestly, though, I think your job is not to do the talking, but to do the teaching and the guiding and the nudging and the tweaking and the loving. And I feel very confident that when you're doing all of those things, the listening from them just comes as a natural extension of that. Now, even the most understanding, engaged, patient parents still have moments where they feel like their kids are so distracted that they're not really doing what they asked when they asked it in the way they want it done. I mean, our kids are kids after all. But the way we respond to our kids when they aren't listening is exactly the way our kids will learn to respond to us when they feel like we aren't listening to them. You need to ask yourself, have I inadvertently taught my kids how not to listen? And if you hesitate before answering, well, you probably have your answer. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rockstar Parent Podcast, please consider leaving a review and sharing the link with your friends. Remember, you can always subscribe to the podcast as well, so you'll be the first to get notified as soon as new episodes are published. I'm just a girl who was ready to start her family, so I got pregnant and had a baby. But what I learned as I raised my own kids, that is the secret to becoming the parent I dreamed I could be and is exactly what I'm sharing with you. Let's rock this parenting thing together.